Hi, I'm David M. Green, and welcome once again to DMGAOFP. That should save time, but it doesn't. David M. Green and Other Famous People is the name of this podcast. Now, an interview I'm going to play to you today is a very special interview. It was actually recorded on this day five years ago, so the 29th of December 2007. I had the pleasure to interview a comedian, panel operator, Richard Marsland. Once again, during a Radio Adelaide show that I was doing, this show was called Pow Wow. To put it into some context, this was about a month after uh, the Triple M radio show Get This with Tony Martin, Ed Cavalli, and Richard Marsland on the buttons finished broadcasting. So it was still fresh in my mind and a lot of people's minds. Well, still fresh today in people's minds. So people still listen to those podcasts, amazingly. That just shows how good those shows were. That, um, that people, even though it hasn't been on the air in over five years, people still download them, pirate them, quote them, talk about them. You know, the, the people who are in radio don't really think about radio like that. They think about it as, you know, what happens, what, what's happening right now, and tomorrow it's dead, something else, and you never think about it again. But, but here, here were three guys making a radio show that really stands the test of time and will probably be regarded as one of the greatest radio shows ever made. But anyway... um. I was looking for people to interview for this show. I had, I had, I had you know, an hour to fill. And uh, I'd already interviewed Tony Martin. And I was thinking, well, maybe I should interview Ed Cavalli. Because he's on that show as well. But around about the same time, I'd just finished uni. And I was looking for a job. And I was, you know, talking to a few people in, in radio, trying to get my foot in the door there. And a, a couple of people had sort of said that I reminded them of Richard Marsden. Um, because Richard's from Adelaide. And, uh, you know, he'd worked with a lot of the same people, and he was into comedy as well. So I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe I should try interviewing him. So I, um, I think I sent him a MySpace message, which was the style at the time. And uh, he replied, and uh, he was going to be in Adelaide, and we were going to do this interview in person. But it turned out he, he had a bit of a busy day, so we ended up doing it over the phone. But we were both in Adelaide at the time this was recorded. And I think, I mean, this interview has obviously extra significance now because uh, Richard's no longer with us. He sadly took his own life uh, just under a year after recording this interview. But I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. And also, I mean, to my knowledge, this, this is the only interview anyone ever did with him. Certainly the only one that's, you know, publicly available. If, the, if you know if you know of another one, let me know about it because uh, I'd certainly be interested to hear it. But here is this one, uh, David M. Green. That's me with Richard Marsden. Well, I'd like to welcome to Pow Wow, uh, not here in person, but on the telephone. It is the real Richard Marsden. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome. Thank, thank you very much for having me on, David. And I, I think I actually I did do some radio Adelaide when I was uh, a younger man back in the 1990s. Oh wow. Uh, I think I forget what it was, but it might have been something like uh, was, was it the a movie soundtrack show, something like that. Oh, okay. It wasn't the Albanian show. No, no. Although, although I have panelled some. Uh, I've panelled a Czech radio show, and I've panelled a Polish radio show, a uh, Spanish-speaking uh, radio show. So I've done it all. I can uh, I can queue up records in all kinds of languages. Well, would you feel more comfortable sitting at the panel here? Um, <laughs> well, I I like sitting at the panel, but the thing is, uh, the panel is such a distraction because you're uh, you you know you're monitoring the. Technical output of the show. So often you're talking and keeping an eye on levels at the same time, VU levels, and you have uh, no idea what you're saying. You're just making sure that you're, you're, you're tickling the reds in the right fashion. <laughs> <laughs> getting, you're getting very technical now. <laughs> yeah. Well, how did how did you come to find yourself the panel wizard on Triple M's Get This alongside Tony Martin and Ed Cavalli? Um, well, uh, uh, panel wizarding uh, is something that doesn't come easy. Uh, well, <laughs> it was one of the first things I learned because when I started in community radio. And I'm not sure if it's a it's a it's a cardinal sin to mention the name of another community station on this one. But, oh, you can uh, talk about anything on this radio station. Oh, great! Well, uh, PBFM, um, which is uh, the community radio station, uh, they do fantastic work in Salisbury in the in the northern suburbs of Adelaide, and that's where I started when I was about 15. And I just learned the panel. You had to do a, uh, I think it was something like a six or seven week course um, to learn the panel. And to be frank, that was possibly the best radio training I've had in that it gave me the fundamentals to take to other panels, or to other radio panels, you know, <laughs> all around uh, the radio landscape, you know. And, um, and so I learned all the, the, the broad strokes of how to panel, and, and it was something that I, 
could learn how to do because because the what I wanted to do, I'd, you know, it was, it was a way of performing, of getting on air every day and and doing something. And if I could learn how to panel, then that meant I didn't have to rely on someone else to come in and run a show for me. So that's that's when I so I learned when I was about fifteen, and then I just sort of uh, stayed in radio ever since. Did you get a call at some point when you were in Melbourne and say, "Hey, Tony Martin's doing a radio show. Would you like to panel?" <laughs> well, um, I had done a few things with Tony. I knew him a little bit. Uh, from Voytown, um, and also I had interviewed him a few times. I used to do a show in Adelaide called AM Adelaide, um, which was with uh, Anne Wills, and before that, Cheryl Lee Harris and Jan Beasley. W- when exactly was that on? Because I don't recall watching it. Well, it was on... Uh, well, not many people do recall watching it. They, they either watched it by accident. That was pretty much our demographic. <laughs> was when they tuned in from being sick or something like that. But it was on at... Uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, actually, on Channel 7, uh, every day. It was a live... It was unique. It was, a, it was a live local show that went for an hour. It was like... I guess it was infotainment. I mean, there was little live commercials in there, which I never did, but Anne Wills did, and she was great at them. But then I did the interviews with, you know, people organising fates and, uh, you know, um, sort of uh, theatre shows that would be on at the State Theatre and all those kinds of local... And you'd speak to, you know, newsmen like Mike Smithson and Graham Goodings from Channel 7. And so, and it was a... I've got to say, it was, a, it was a great show. It's a shame it's no longer on because we had a lot of young South Australian performers on there and it seems that, you know, that's missing and there's no real, um, you know, forum where where young performers or, you know, local performers can come on and, and spruik their wares. So, or, you know, local local artists as well. I, I'm getting distracted, but that's... So I did a bit of that and so that's where I knew Tony. Um, and I knew him a little bit, you know, here and there through um, Mick Malloy's radio show as well. And socially, I knew him. So, and then, and then I was doing a radio show that got axed, and it was just a weird timing thing where he said, "Do you want to come over and do our show?" Because he knew I was a bit of a writer and I was a comedian and I was doing radio, so he thought I would be a perfect fit. And I just came over and, and started doing the show. Wow, <laughs> that's a really long, long <laughs> way to explain it. And I'm sorry about the. Uh, you know, digressing into uh, the worth of AM Adelaide, but uh, I'm sorry, I feel passionate about local television. Oh, that's, well, that's all right. I, I wish it was on. Oh, sorry, I wish I knew about it when it was on. <laughs> well, I'm gathering you might have been... Now, do you mind if I ask how old a gentleman you are? I'm 20. 20, so you might have been at school then. Uh, how old are you? Well, see, I'm 30. 30? And, um... Because I always thought... I, I always just assumed, just judging by your voice, that you were about 40. I, I mean, no offence Is there. that right? Yeah, I always yeah. thought you were a lot older than you actually are. Well... Yeah, I, I think, like, you know, I, I definitely will slip into old age very easily. Uh, <laughs> my taste lies. Um, I often get along with old people very well because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm against change in any, in any sort. And you worked at community radio. Yeah, that's right, in community radio, exactly. So, um, so <laughs> and also I worked on AM Adelaide, so I know how to speak to the older stay-at-home viewer. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's why I sound older than what I am. Anything with AM in it, I think. <laughs> exactly. Just attracts geriatrics. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But uh, um, I'm not sure what the question was there. But <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> I, but, yeah, you might have been at school. I, oh, yeah. I'm thinking that, because uh, this would have been about four or five years ago, possibly, maybe even six. Six. Maybe, yeah, four or five. But, um, yeah, so that was would have been like, you know, it was, it was uh, a lot of our viewers were university students and um, uh, older people as shift workers and mature ladies of the uh, mature set. Okay. Uh, yeah, I probably would have been in school then. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't miss a day of school between years uh, 9 and 12. Is that serious? Are yeah. you serious about that? Yep. I, I missed one day of school in year 8, and that was, that was the last day of school I missed. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, That's an amazing feat. But it helps that my mum's a doctor, so I couldn't really fake an illness very easily. But surely you knew where the wad of uh, doctor certificates were stashed? I always had access to them, but I never needed them. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, maybe we can have a chat later. You can get me some prescriptions filled. <laughs> I can get anything you need. <laughs> I've got a listener email here. Well, more of a listener MySpace comment um, okay. from a girl named Ace, who you might be familiar with. Uh, possibly. Uh, and this is strange, because I've never got any emails before, and as soon as you come on the program, they just flooded. Oh, that's lovely to hear. But she wanted me to pass this on to you, uh, and I quote, The guys from Get This didn't turn me off men, and I'm not a lesbian. On one of the episodes of Get This, they read out a letter I wrote to them about meeting my best friend through Ed Cavalier's MySpace page. Yes, yes, I know the, I know the letter. And uh, they all made out that it was a lesbian relationship, which it most certainly is not. Just because men aren't interested in me doesn't mean I'm not interested in them. It doesn't bother me as much, but my friend Hosanna was gutted that the love of her life, Ed, thought she was into girls. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Because I do remember the letter that Tony read out, and we, we were quite uh, we were quite impressed that our show had brought people together. And indeed, the series was perhaps that we had put uh, women off 
to the point where, you know, off, off the male gender that perhaps they'd have to start looking at their own. Um, but, uh, well, I'm sorry about that. We should have to do a, uh, a we were wrong, uh, an editor's <laughs> apology. That's, uh, that's very embarrassing. Well, if you could please pass your, our apologies on to... Uh, to her, I mean, that's a, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I've been accused of being a lesbian before. It's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, post a comment on her MySpace page. But she was actually, um, because she's such an obsessed fan, she was actually quite a good uh, wealth of knowledge. She passed on this question to ask you as well. Yes. Uh, she informs me that uh, in a separate MySpace comment that the ABC apparently wants to pick up a Get This Style show, and uh, Tony said he'd be willing to relocate to Sydney to do it as long as you and Ed went with him. Is that correct? Um, there's a few rumours uh, doing the rounds about the show, and I'm not sure. I like I, I to be frank, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can understand where some of them get started, and um, and we we are keen to keep on doing get this, whether it's on radio or whether it's on TV. And I think um, we've had a few nibbles in that regard, uh, from uh, but but nothing uh, nothing concrete yet, unfortunately. So I've got nothing necessarily to report. But uh, you know, it would be great to continue working with Tony and Ed. And I think we all you know because we all genuinely liked each other and we all really enjoyed um, working together and we sort of found a chemistry there, which is really difficult to find. You know, like it's hard because often with radio they tend to throw groups together and you don't know these people and you sort of find out about them on the air and and that's great. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily equal chemistry. Whereas um, with our show, hopefully it did. I, I feel that it did. Now, I must say, it, it was certainly my favourite radio show I've ever heard. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, I thought well, it was fantastic. You. It's definitely the favourite that I've worked on. <laughs> um, well, that's great to hear. No, just... we, we, we really, uh, I mean, as much as um, we like to hear that people like the show, it's also like surprising sometimes because there's really strange things that you'll do that you'll plan and write and organise for the show that, you know, they, they do okay but don't necessarily get any sort of um, momentum behind them. But then you'll do something accidental like, I'll sing the Vingabus song. <laughs> and then for some reason that, <laughs> that becomes the big, you know, and that's not planned or anything. That's just something that happens. So it just shows to show you that, you know, it doesn't matter how much planning you do and how much organisation you do for a show sometimes. Often the things that they like best are things that sort of arise I'll, I'll use a, uh, a word that uh, wankers like to use, which is organically. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's something that sort of comes accidentally almost. But I'm not sure what's going on with, uh, with Get This. I, I, I have been in contact with Tony, although we're in the uh, Christmas, New Year's holiday period currently. So um, When this was recorded, anyway. When this was, reco this was recorded back uh, when Elvis was alive and when Ribena was still good for you. That's what I've heard. <laughs> when they still advertised it with four times the vitamin C. That's right. That's right. Bindi's beads are still fine. <laughs> Any toy imported from China, keep on playing with it. Back when this was recorded, but um, but yeah, so so I'm not sure, but I mean, uh, hopefully, hopefully we, we're um, we're going to be doing something else together, which is nice. So that that would be, uh, and we'll make sure we'll keep everyone posted as to what that would be. A TV version would be good. I mean, it would be great. We've always said, well, Tony's always said that. Uh, it's the most visual show on radio, you know. Yeah. You do things that uh, would lend itself so much to um to television. Who were your influences? My influences. Ah, uh, well, Grateful Dead, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Are you talking about comedy influences? <laughs> um, I would say. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I've got to say the top... The, I mean, I always have, like, a top five that I come back to time and time again, and that is, like, you know, my all-time favourite. And, like, the two Martins, I would, I would definitely have Tony Martin in there. This is not in any order, by the way, but I would definitely have Tony Martin in there in that um, for almost 20 years I've watched Tony do stuff, you know, ever since I was a kid. Did you say the two Martins? The two Martins, so I'll tell you who they are. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not Ray Martin. And so, and, but Tony's always, like, he's always cracked me up, and that's been almost for 20 years, and so I've got to got to say that's, you know, like whether it's radio or TV or just his stand-up. And his writing as well, like his book's hilarious. I'd find him just a very fertile comic mind, and I think he's just great. And then Steve Martin as well. Oh. Um, not, his, not his early stand-up and what have you. I'm talking about his last uh, three films. Uh, no, I'm just kidding around. No, <laughs> I'm not sure where he's... I mean, I like Steve Martin, but he's just doing some weird films currently. But he's just released a book, actually, Steve Martin, about his stand-up career. Um, which is a really good read. I think it's called Born Standing Up, but I, I read it in, like, it took me a day to read. It was just fantastic. I'm a big fan of Steve Martin's early um, stand-up, um, if you can find any of those on CD or, you know, records, which some of them are only available on LP. But, um, and then his early, his early movies, pretty much up until... See, I reckon his, his best movies are like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and uh, oh, yeah. Parenthood's really good, The Jerk, Man with Two Brains. So he was really... I, I really love Steve Martin. Bill Hicks is another one that I really love. It's amazing how relevant his stuff is, even though he's dead now. He died back in the 90s, but all his material was about the first President Bush and about the Gulf War. Not all of his material, but a lot, and, you know, and a lot of it's, it's still relevant. Bill Hicks is fantastic. Um, Monty Python, I mean, all the predictable ones. But, and, and definitely and absolutely uh, Woody Allen. 
Like, I, I love Woody Allen. I still go and see all his films whenever he releases one. So I, you know, Woody Allen, to me, like all his stand-up and his his films, uh, like Love and Death, Manhattan, Annie Hall, they're really funny. I don't think you can go past Woody Allen, really. His, uh, his stand-up was very much, it wasn't like just sort of telling a lot of jokes. It was more like telling long stories. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's amazing. Like, and that's that's almost seemed to be the style of the time. Like, you listen to a Bill Cosby album now, and it's amazing. And even like when you watch some of the old Paul Hogan episodes that have been released on DVD, just the pace comedy was much slower. It was much more leisurely pace. And I was watching a Paul Hogan DVD the other day, and he sits there and just talks to the camera for about seven minutes, where it's just like this long. And even some episodes of the two Ronnies have this, where you know Roddy Corbett just speaks to the camera for about ten minutes, and just this relaxation and just enjoying the words and the turns of phrases and finding little details in the story. It doesn't seem necessarily that we have as much time to hear all that anymore. And um, yeah, and a lot of uh, Woody Allen's things, even though you can isolate a lot of the lines as one-liners. But a lot of them are stories, you know. Like the, the one, the famous one is the thing about the Berkowitzes, you know, the one about shooting the moose. And yeah, that's a very famous routine anyway. <laughs> I forget the exact routine, but uh, it's very funny and it's got a great punchline. And... But all those great Woody Allen lines, you know, like um, don't knock masturbation, it's sex with someone I love. That's from, that's from a routine that he put in a movie later on. And, you know, he's got that great routine about how... Not a routine, but he's talking about his watch and... Uh, I'm guessing he's looking at his watch because he's looking to see how much time he's done on stage and how much time he has left. You know, he's probably up there for an hour and it's probably, you know, 30 minutes gone. He looks at his watch and he goes, I love this watch. My grandfather sold me this watch on his deathbed. <laughs> and it's just a really, you know, it's just one of those jokes that it always takes a couple of seconds to get. But, you know, I still laugh at it. You know, so Woody Allen definitely. And then, you know, obviously, you, you know, I enjoy all the Christopher Guest, the Spinal Taps, and Degeneration for me when I was younger were a big influence in terms of, like, just, just seeing that Australians could do comedy when I was a kid. I mean, my dad liked Paul Hogan, and I liked Paul Hogan, but I sort of missed that because I was a little young. So the Degeneration was sort of, you know, with Rob Sitch and Jane Kennedy and Jane Turner and Fast Forward and those shows that came out of that as well. For me, when I was watching them as a kid, you know, it was just great to see shows with an Australian sense of humour and that kind of thing, and, and the comedy company as well, which is, you know, it, like a lot of it possibly doesn't hold up now when you watch it, but still some really good performers and some great writing. I mean, Glenn Robbins was on there, Tim Smith. Pretty predictable influences, I'm sorry to say. Nothing really <laughs> crazy. I'm sure I'll remember some as soon as I hang up. Oh, is it true? Uh, and I may have been lied to by my good friend Michael Princey. Yes. Uh, but... Uh... I've heard his. Uh, I've heard his word is dubious. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, he, he informs me that back in 1993, you drove from Adelaide to Melbourne to see the last episode of the Late Show on the ABC. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not sure. Where, did he? He must have. He um, didn't reference it. It was like a Wikipedia article. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's going on in that Wikipedia, by the way. But I, I might have said that actually on the radio show at some stage. And that's true. No, that absolutely is true. I went with, um, actually, we didn't drive, we caught the bus. All oh, right. Went with my best friend, and we, uh, I regret to say that we wagged a day off school um, to get there <laughs> by, uh, by the Saturday, but we went and saw the last episode of the first year of The Late Show. Oh, the we first year. We were big okay. fans. Yeah. I was going to say, on uh, the best bits uh, that was released on DVD, I think the last episode there, they were showing shots of the crowd for quite a long time. They were doing a Don Lane-style zoom into oh, the crowd. Right. And you think I might be in there somewhere? I think that was the last ever episode, so not of the first season. Yeah, that's right. That was the last ever episode. The uh, last ever episode was, uh, I, can, I can tell you some of the sketches. Look at that. I actually, uh, there was one called Santo the Magnificent. Oh, that one. All yeah, right. I saw that, and I actually have the script for that, because they left the script lying around. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up, uh, t that's like one of my little comedy souvenirs that I got. And so for me, that was like, you know, wow, this is how a comedy script looks, and... You know, I was 16 years of age, or however old I was, 17. And, and, yeah, just looking at a comedy script, and, you know, this is how the professionals do it. So, yeah, I was a big, big fan. I still am, you know. They're still doing fantastic stuff, all those guys. Uh, did you once have long hair? Yeah, I did, actually. Where did you Where did you uh, hear that? Because uh, uh, an old photo on the Get This website had Tony and Ed and uh, a woman who I presume was Nikki Hamilton, who's your producer. Oh, that's right. And then this guy with long hair with his eyes closed. Oh, okay. No, that actually is, that is um, Matt Dower, actually. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Are you talking, are you talking about the big group shot of everyone? Yeah. Yeah, that was taken before I joined the show, unfortunately. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, so um, that is Matt Dower, who is our production guy. So he does all your sketches? And yeah, he pieces together all the sketches and... Um, yeah, he's an amazing, uh, he's an amazing, that's what you need when, you, when you're doing radio comedies, you need someone 
incredible in production. And luckily we had that with, well, we, you know, hopefully maybe one day still might have it, like Matt Dower in production. And, and same with when I was at SAFM as well. Uh, we had some fantastic guys in production. Um, and you always need, they, they are as much a part of it as um, anyone on air or anyone writing it, you know, in terms of radio comedy, because because they bring it all to life, you know. So we had fantastic guys at SAFM, like uh, a guy called Noel Threffleton, um, Shane Rogers, uh, Tim Ford. If you can ever work with those three guys, really terrific fun. And Eddie By, I'll just drop some names, but uh, <laughs> but the, but the, you know, and they, and they have their own sense of humour which they bring to it. And often there's there's guys who um like in production who or in comedy in radio comedy they'll write a script. And they'll take the script in, and they'll oversee absolutely everything. And they'll make sure, you know, they'll and that's and I used to do that, but then like make sure that everything was done exactly as the way I said. But then after a while, I like to give it to them for a while just to see what else they came up with, or you know, giving it their own sort of flair, you know, because because they, they have to inject their own creativity into it. And if I'm standing over their shoulder the entire time. I just feel like um, maybe I'm bullying them too much. Yeah, <laughs> I, It would take uh, an incredibly long time, I know from experience editing stuff, particularly when you're editing together fake interviews and that sort of thing. It takes mm. like five hours. Yeah, it's a long, yeah, it, it is. It's a, that's a long process. And with the editing of the, the fake interviews, that's, um, that's something you almost have to teach yourself, you know. It's like you, you transcribe exactly what everyone says and then you you know, sit there with a highlighting pen saying what would sound real, what would say, you know, where are the funny answers. And yeah, it's, but that is part of the fun of, of knowing what that idea is in your head and how to do it. It's almost like unlocking a mystery in many ways. <laughs> I remember well, you guys used to do, um, used to, uh, do heaps with John Howard. Yeah, he, he did, one in particular was really, really funny. I don't think it's ever been bettered. <laughs> 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 brilliant. Like Tony really is the master of those. That I mean, he yeah he um you know he's got the high watermark going there. Which one? Which one were you thinking? I can't. Oh, you were talking about his testicles or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that might not narrow it down. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it has. But there's one where he's where he's doing some uh, hardcore hip hop. Uh, another one. There's one in particular that I enjoyed with Kim Beasley, which was something to do with a stapler. Um, which is pretty blue. And there was another one with John Howard uh, where um, he was uh, giving Tony some comedy advice, <laughs> which is really fantastic, which is a really funny one, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, that was great. So I think they're all still actually up on the uh, website until December 31, so race there now and check it out. They're probably still on the podcast, though. Oh, yeah. will they still be up there? Uh, I don't know how that's working exactly. I don't know. Hopefully someone will put them all up in a torrent somewhere illegally well that's the funny thing is that all the podcasts are up and you know we, we usually we do pretty okay we're usually consistently in the top 15 of those uh the podcast uh, charts keep on being beaten by those happy tree friends curse them <laughs> i have no idea what they are but they sound evil um but um and uh, but then of course that doesn't count the uh, yeah the illegal torrents and the uh the, the, the mirror sites and stuff that people build, so we have no idea exactly what the figure is on the podcast. But they're out there. They're out there, exactly. That's right, they're being heard. That's the most important thing. Yeah. No, it's good. And if we can just change one life, well, then <laughs> we, we've done our job properly. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly not. Well, uh, you, you write for Rove on Channel 10 and for Newstopia on SBS. Yeah, that's right. Are they both returning in 2008? Uh, well, Newstopia uh, is returning. I, I saw it in the paper the other day, actually, so I can say that it is. So that's good news. Because um, well, I, I, I would have to say it was my favourite comedy TV show last year. I thought that was... I mean, as my, you know, I know that sounds crazy because I was writing on it, but, I mean, just as a, as a McCarla fan watching it, it was really, really... I mean, I really enjoyed it as well. I just thought it was really dense. There was so much in it. There was jokes for everyone. It, it rewarded repeated viewings. Mm. Yeah, it was really it was really a fantastic show. It was well put together. I especially liked the map of Australia desk. <laughs> yes, that was a masterstroke as well. Was that yeah. your idea? No, that wasn't, unfortunately. Oh, right. No, it wasn't. Uh, no, but um, I would oh, like well. to have come up with the Tasmania um, desk, which is where he puts his water. Oh, well, here's an idea you can use. Yeah. Um, you can have a side table that's shaped like New Zealand, uh-huh. and it's just way off camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. It's where the weather should be done from. Yeah. It's from New Zealand. It's very cloudy all the time. But, uh, yeah, no, that wasn't my... I, I know. I saw that map of Australia and thought, well, you know, like, you get those early early indicators of TV shows that you're watching, you think whether or not... It's almost like a whether or not you can pick it immediately as to whether you'll like it. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I saw the map of Australia table, I thought, wow, this is really... It's just a simple thing, but it's it's really clever, you know? It just shows that taking great, you know, those jokes even in the set, you know? I thought that might have been a reference to uh, the Colbert Report because his desk is shaped like a letter C. 
Is it really? Yeah, it's got serifs on the end. Okay, you, you... I haven't. I, you know, I, I do like uh, Stephen Colbert, and I like the Colbert Report, but I haven't watched enough of it to... Um... It's not on at the moment because of the writer's the strike. The writer's strike, yeah. and there's actually some good stuff. Have you seen some of those things that the writers are putting on YouTube to do with the writer's strike? Uh, no. There's some really good things. Like There's one guy who's a Daily Show writer who's doing his own version of the Daily Show from the picket line, <laughs> um, which is really clever. Uh, yeah, there's some really good things. So these guys, they obviously have all this creativity inside and all these jokes, so they want to get out, and they're not legally allowed to, but uh, well, they're not allowed to be paid for it. So they're just doing all this free stuff and putting it up on YouTube to do with the writer's strike. And it's um, pretty fascinating. The, the writer's strike is an interesting thing, and it, could, it wouldn't really happen here because we don't, there aren't the numbers and... Uh, you know, here to to do something like that. We have no reason to either. <laughs> it's another good point. <laughs> but uh, but um, the writer's strike is an interesting thing, actually, because that happened, I think it happened a few years ago, certainly when, when Johnny Carson was on, and Johnny Carson was writing his own material while the strike was on. And uh, that could actually end up happening as well, because I think Letterman's back on January the 2nd. So he could start writing his own material again. Yeah, I heard uh, my friend Michael Princey, uh, yeah. to bring him up again. He Once was again. he was telling me that that um, back in like the late 80s or early 90s, uh, yeah. there was another strike and Letterman was writing his own material there and it got really, really weird. <laughs> yes, he is a... Uh, like, you look at uh, some of Letterman's old stand-up and, yeah, he has, a, he has like, a very... Uh, it's almost like if you watch Norm MacDonald, you know, uh, a lot of Norm MacDonald sort of uh, attitude or... Tone seems very much like Letterman. Anyway, that's in in my opinion. But uh, but and then if you watch uh, some of Letterman's early stand up, it's very uh, it can be very dark and very yeah very strange. But uh, I love it. You know, it's got a real attitude to it. Have uh, Have you ever done stand up before? Yeah, I in fact I still I still do it. Yeah, I started when I was about nineteen, and um, I did a few gigs. Um, not in Adelaide. I did them in Melbourne because I didn't want anyone. This is the, how paranoid I am. I didn't want anyone in the audience to be someone I knew. You know, I was worried about doing stand up and looking out in the audience and seeing someone I knew and then sucking on stage. You know, <laughs> and just dying a death and someone thinking that I oh, wasn't any good. You know, so I had, would go to Melbourne all the way to Melbourne to do the stand up. And uh, there's still a few tapes lying around in the bottom of my drawers, which will never see the light of day. And <laughs> not even on community radio. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so so there's um, so I did I did a little bit then, and then I had a cup. I had one really bad experience, which really scared me off. And and I later learned that everyone's had that experience. But you know, I had I had a really bad death, you know, yeah. um, on stage in Melbourne, and I thought, right, okay, not, not an actual death. No, really? no, unfortunately, although that would have been better, would have been preferable compared to what I felt. Because it's just like, you know, and I think anyone who's really gone on stage for 10 minutes and not gotten one laugh, yeah. you know, would know that that's a, it's a, just a terrible feeling. And you just keep on, you know, you plough on regardless. But so I, d I did it and then I went, OK, so possibly it's not for me because I was just feeling so beaten up by it. So I went and just did some writing and focused more on the radio and what have you. So I always I always had the radio and the comedy going hand in hand. And then I thought, well, that's the perfect blend if I can do some writing for radio. And I sort of worked out you know, how to write, and, and then and then I started stand-up again about, oh, jeez, I gave it a good break about three or four years ago, and uh, so I gave it a good, <laughs> I gave it a good six or seven-year break, you know, so, um, well, I, still, I would still do the occasional performance, like, I'd still, I would still do theatre sports, I used to like doing theatre sports, oh, yeah. um, um, and that's good for radio, you know, it keeps you, you know, being able to talk about everything, and, you know, like, taking every offer, you know, all that, all that stuff, and so I still did theatre sports, and I would still do the occasional sort of speaking thing but nothing stand-up-y no i was so frightened off by that experience do you find there's a difference between the audiences in melbourne and adelaide or now that you're a bit more well known well i, I i've actually never done stand-up in adelaide i've done a couple of things i did a couple of things with limo and justin hamilton um in a couple of festivals ago but that wasn't it was more sort of performing and being part of a group than stand-up but i've never actually performed um stand-up in adelaide but there is one thing about and and I, I'm not well. No, I'm just I just get like a little bit of reflected glory off Tony and Ed, you know. But my name is recognisable because Tony because <laughs> Tony mentions it so much. But <laughs> so I go and do stand up, and often there's this thing where people will think because they've heard you on the radio that I'm probably better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and sometimes I'm just trying out some new material, so it won't always be solid gold. But you know, I manage to squeak by. Okay, but uh, I, I you know, there's and there's that guilt thing where there's guys who've been doing it for a long time and. Just because you're on the radio, people automatically, for some reason, think that you're um, you're better than uh, better at you know, and stand up such a specific skill. You know, you look at guys like uh, Dave Hughes and Peter Hallier, and they're great at stand up. You know, I don't know. I find find that uh, you know, if you're funny on the radio, it's good. But um, you know, a, a crowd full of uh, 
people who are drinking is is often a tougher audience. <laughs> I've definitely noticed that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I remember hearing somewhere it was probably on Get This that you're a Devo fan. Uh, yeah. Well. Um, or were you just being ironic? No, I'm not. I like Devo a lot, but I'm not as huge a fan. I think as Tony. Oh, Tony's Tony's a fan. Okay. I'm a huge fan. Really? I'm a huge. I I had a um a quest last summer to try to play every single Devo song, with the exception of Whip It. Really? Because you know that's already played enough on radio. That's right. It's Whip It and Girl You Want. They're the ones that they play all the time, isn't it? Yeah. Not not even Girl You Want. It's it's always Whip It. That's true. That's true. And um, so what did you do? You did Gates of Steel. You did Freedom of Choice. Oh, yeah. that's Pep. <laughs> did you do? Did you do the new, the new stuff like uh, from the Supercop soundtrack, Head Like a Hole? No, not the Supercop. I I played something from all of their albums, all nine of their albums. Their late, I thought their latest one was in 1989. So well, I guess that, that's that's probably true. But I, they did do it. They would pop up now and again for you know for soundtracks, and um, they did do a good song. And you know how. You know, they've always done good covers of other people's songs. You know, like Satisfaction and... Um, yeah. What's that, like a, working in a coal mine? And But but the um, they did that really good cover of the Nine Inch Nails song, Head Like a Hole. And I'm not sure if it was just Mark Mothersbaugh saying he was Devo, you know, just using the name. But it's a really good version. It's on the... Uh, you can probably find it on the... Uh, it's on, on my... Or on it's the, on my computer. I don't think I've listened to it yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's right. so many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, oh, that's, a, that's a great... I love that. I love that idea. You guys playing every Devo song except for Whippet. Yeah, the only problem was um, the amount of airtime that we had was less than the total, <laughs> was less than <laughs> <No>. required. <laughs> Even if we played total Devo, ironically that's the name of one of their albums, yeah. uh, for, <laughs> for like the whole hour for 13 weeks, I still think there wouldn't uh, be enough time to play all of them. Did you, uh, you didn't screw it up and play any Ill Devo, did you? <laughs> I've always wanted to do a sketch mashing those up, but I just, I don't have the technical musical knowledge to work out how to do it. Uh, one day you will. Yeah. I can see it in, I can see it in the tea leaves. <laughs> oh, you'll take my idea. Feel free to use that, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You'll never be heard from again. Well, uh, do you watch as much television as you write? Actually, presumably you watch considerably more. Um, oh, yeah, no, I watch, I watch heaps of TV. I've always been a massive TV fan. That's all I ever, uh, ever did as a kid, as a matter of fact. I grew up... Um, on a farm, so like, uh, and it was good. It was great fun, you know. You could always make your own fun on a farm, but it also has the the downfall of you know your friends don't live nearby, so there was always the TV, and um, and that's all I did. Yeah, I watched. I was a real TV junkie as a kid, and uh, just watched everything, everything stuff that people think is bad. I really enjoy, like the Brady Bunch. I still watch, and I still I can find enjoyment in that, and you know, like, so I would always watch the TV, and I think you find a lot of people in comedy are from rural areas or have grown up on farms. That has happened a lot, actually. There's a lot of comedians, and I think it's that thing of, you know, you make your own fun and you find something that you enjoy on the TV and you wonder how they do that, you know, and comedy is always a very attractive thing to get into, especially if you're on living in an isolated area. I mean, you look at the comedians in Australia, a lot of them from, from the country, you know. Hmm. Got uh, Limo, Tom Gleeson. Fiona O'Loughlin. Fiona O'Loughlin, Corinne Grant. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people... And I'm not sure why that is. I'm trying to work out why that is. But there's always that constant fight about Sydney or Melbourne being the comedy capital. And I'm not, I'm not sure if that's even the argument. I think it should be, what is it about the country that's breeding all these comedians? Maybe it's the asbestos. <laughs> Possibly. It's the hayseeds in the ears. It's something to do with, I don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Are you watching any obscure TV shows at the moment? What am I watching at the moment? Hmm, that's a good question. Because I, I haven't been watching much obscure stuff, but... You know, I, I always come back to Arrested Development. I always enjoy watching that. Mm. That's just a top show. Um, I, I like the fact that TV is getting faster, you know, and I like the fact that TV has really picked up the pace. Because if you watch... Um, I really enjoy a lot of the old sitcoms. Like, I really enjoy the Mary Tyler Moore show. That, for me, look, you know, I watch that, and it's still a really funny show, brilliantly acted. And it's an old-fashioned three-camera mid-shot you know, live audience sitcom, but it it works, you know, and I, I'm still actually, I'm quite excited to see what the next big sitcom sitcom will be, because there's this mockumentary craze, and there's this, um, you know, there's this single camera sort of fascination mm. at the moment, where they, you know, no laugh track, and no theme song, and no, and just one camera, and it's, you know, filmed on film, and, you know, like Arrested Development, or uh, The Office, or you know, extras and what have you, and they're great. And I, you know, I, I love that style personally. But I would be interested to see who's going to go back to the earlier trend and bring back, you know, a sitcom like Seinfeld, which was really fantastic and really brilliant. But you know, in the old-fashioned style, 
that's what I'm very interested to see. I was getting there with the IT crowd recently. Oh, that was yeah. like an old-fashioned sort of sitcom, and although, you know, really brilliant writing, but it was done like an old... And, and that was successful, but I wonder what the next big, big one... I'm trying to think what I'm watching that's obscure, though. <laughs> um, I've avoided the question pretty well. I'm... I think you could probably say that Arrested Development was obscure because still a lot of people haven't seen it. No one watches it, do they? Or they, or they try to watch it and they, they don't watch it from the start and they just don't understand it. Exactly. I know, and it's one of those weird things where, and, and now and again, because I, I, you watch so much comedy or because you, you're writing it and you're always around it, I now and again will take a break from it, you know, because I don't want to be, A, you just don't want to be subconsciously influenced by well, these shows that you're watching as much as you're a fan. You just don't want to... I always get concerned about coming up with an idea six months later and then forgetting that I've seen it somewhere else, you know? I'm always paranoid about that. So I don't always watch heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of comedy. I'll, you know, I'll watch a bit of drama as well. I love, I love The Sopranos. I love The Wire. That's a really good show, um, which you can get on DVD. But also, I picked up the entire series of The West Wing rather a bit too cheaply, like for 80 bucks, like all, all six, well, you know, six of the seasons anyway. Huh. And um, for me, that was good value. And so I got that, and I was just because I I watched the occasional episode when it was on TV, and a lot of it's you know some sometimes it's, it's a bit too cute and uh, everything's a bit too perfect. And but but it's a really I mean it's an incredibly written show. You know, even coming from a comedy writer's perspective, you watch it, and uh, there's just so much knowledge in our audition and a genuine attitude coming through that show. I, I you know, and the performances are great. Uh, but and there's a definite style too when you watch Aaron Sorkin stuff. You know, it's all that walk and talk dialogue. You know, I think uh, you know once again to quote Tony, but he has that great example where you know the characters are quoting reams and reams of dialogue about the economy in the West Wing, and then they'll finish off with, by the way, uh, you know, is your son doing his maths homework now? You know, they'll always <laughs> at the end of at the end of a big philosophical discussion, they'll always have something really human at the end of it which is like seems to be Aaron Sorkin's style. So if you watch that, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> but uh, no, so I'm a big fan of The West Wing. I don't know, that seems to be my favourite thing at the moment that I'm watching. Okay. Yeah. Because I've um, the show I'm watching at the moment, just out of frustration more than anything, is the original Star Trek series. Oh, okay. Because there are so many references in so many other shows, I just, went, I just wanted to know, all right, what are these references all about? So I obtained the 1960s, the three seasons that they made, and I've been working my way through that. So if, these are the... Um is it, uh, who's, like, who's writing most, are these all the, um, is, is Gene, what's his name, Gene Roddenberry? Gene, he, yeah, he was the producer, I think he was writing most of them is as he, well. So, yeah, but you know, Star Trek, uh, still, like, you know, the, the, the shows that are making of Star Trek, Star Trek is one of the few shows, you might be, it might be worth watching a few more episodes, because I think Star Trek is the only show in the world that still accepts unsolicited submissions for scripts. Oh, really? Yeah, so they, they, they get a lot of, you know, super, super fans writing scripts and sending them in. And a lot of times they'll accept them. Um, most TV shows don't do that um, because of legalities. And also in the US there's the Writers Guild and, and once again the union who are on strike. So there's all those issues to consider. But Star Trek, for some reason, it still accepts um, unsolicited submissions, which is uh, an incredible thing. Now, how, does, how does one become a writer in Australia? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, stand-up is a great, is a great way in. I, I, um, you know, I think stand-up is a great way to show people that you can write and you have a unique perspective and you can write you can be funny and you know that's that's always the best advertisement and it's an advertisement for yourself as well because it's your face and it's your body and it's your name up there um so stand-up is always you know i would say that is always the tried and true way of getting into writing or even any any performing as well but also uh you know and, and you're onto this david and the although all the team there but the the internet um is just an a sensational way to get your stuff out there. You know, whether it's a blog or, a, you know, a spec script or you you filmed a sketch with some friends or you've got some radio stuff that you put online, that is a fantastic way and you've got a potential audience of the entire world there on the internet and that's something certainly that when I was getting started, when I was 18 or 19, that, that I mean, the internet was there but it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. Um, and so it's just a sensational way to get your stuff. I mean, if I had known that you could put something on there and it could be seen by everyone, I would definitely have done that. As it was, when I did, I mean, I was just, I just cold called people, uh, head writers of TV shows. There was a few people who were really nice to me and, and uh, you know, and you, you make, you know, as, as, you know, in stand-up and in comedy, you sort of make friends and friends help you get jobs and, you know, you hopefully, 
you know, can help them get jobs, and it's a, it's a great community, you know. Um, but the internet, I think, is a, is a great thing. Like, you know, in in terms of uh, just getting your stuff out there and seen and commented on, and you know, I think it's fantastic. It's the way of the future. Uh, no, it definitely is. I know, and it's such a predictable answer. Um, but uh, you know, so that's that. But that is the true one. You know, with this, the, the podcasting capabilities. I mean, you can do your own radio show, which can be heard by so many more people than an, an FM signal can can send to. You know. You can see, you know, anyone in the world can listen to that, you know. And, and the great great thing about the internet as well is you can see everyone else's work, and you can see, you know, whether or not you're on the right track, or what other people's uh, where, where other people are at. You know, I think it's just a fantastic. Um, it's a great resource as well, just for you know, you know, you can go to YouTube and type in, you know, some obscure Monty Python sketch that when I was young it would have taken years and years and years to find. You know, if you, if you if you call your favourite TV shows and often ask the head writers, um, you know, how one would go about it, and you'll find that writers are generally a very friendly and nice bunch. You know, I think everyone that I've met in comedy is a, is a really nice person, you know, and uh, so I think that anyone that you talk to is pretty much willing to give you advice if they have the time, for sure. Though, as much as you hear those, you know, nasty stories about people that work in TV, you know, there's there's more more stories about how nice people are and how genuine people are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Restored my faith. You know, the, the comedy industry in Australia, I reckon, it's, it's a great one. And if you can ever go to, you know, all you have to do is have a look around the, the festivals that happen um, in Australia. And, and you can chat to, you know, the comedians after the show. And, I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. It's very inclusive here. It's very open. And comedy is one of those great genres of entertainment where there's no real separation between the audience and the comedian you know it's you're talking about things hopefully that have touched them and you know have given have made them give you an emotional response the audience can talk to the performer after the show you know it's not like you've just seen a play you know it's very difficult for the audience to talk to a <laughs> talk to an actor after seeing them in a play you know it's a it's a different it's a different experience anyway i'll put it that way what does the future hold for richard marsden have you got any <laughs> projects in the pipeline well, I have to talk about myself more in the third person. Uh, you just reminded me. Yeah, you're like Elmo. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Why is that? He seems like such an insecure little animal, but yet speaks in himself, uh, speaks about himself in the third person, which I believe Julius Caesar also did. Oh. I'm guessing Elmo, because he's only three and a half, hasn't reached Piaget's concrete stage. <laughs> uh, that, this, sorry, this is a reference to my behavioural science degree, but okay. please, go on. <laughs> um, no, I'm always up for some behavioural science. Uh, you've probably got a couple of things to say about me now. <laughs> um, I, what, the future, I'm, well, I, I mean, I, I love writing. Uh, I, I, hopefully I'll continue to, uh, to, to be writing. I mean, I, I was, I, I'm writing for Rove and for Newstopia, and I like, I, I'm a big fan of Rove and also of Sean McAuliffe. And Sean McAuliffe as well, especially because he's from Adelaide as well, and he's such a um, fantastic writer and a fantastic performer and a fantastic comedian, but he's from Adelaide, you know, and, and there, there aren't many who... There, there are a few... But not as many as, like, from Sydney or from Melbourne who are, you know, nationally successful. So that's, you know, so part of me, that's, the, you know, that's a personal little little thing about Sean. I think it's great that he's an Adelaidean who, who's doing so well. So hopefully some more writing for those guys. I mean, I enjoyed, I think Rove had a really good year in 2007. I think it was a really good show. And uh, so I, hopefully I'll still write for that and for Newstopia. Um, uh, I don't know. We'd like to. We'd like. I'd like to continue working uh, with to get this team if they, if they'll have me. Um, whether or not that's in radio, <laughs> whether or not it's in, it's in TV, I'm not sure. I mean, whatever the rumours suggest, and if it's you know, if it's anything, if it doesn't uh, doesn't end up working out, I'll just uh, go back to what I used to do, which is uh, working at the car park booth there at the Paraka flea markets. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably see you around then. Not that that isn't, you know, I, I really enjoy doing that, but uh, and I'll, I'll gladly go back to it. Do they have fleas there? No fleas at the market, no. It, it's a common myth. <laughs> it's a common myth, but uh, lots of fruit and veg. Oh, okay. By the way, uh, back to that email, uh, that MySpace comment that I got from that girl, Ace. Yeah. Uh, she wanted to let you know that as an added incentive, if you move to Sydney, uh, she'll cook for you. Is that right? Yeah, and apparently she's quite good. So, really? Yeah. Just uh, wow. t- take that on board, perhaps. Okay, I definitely will. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. What school did you go to in I Adelaide? I went to uh, Christian Brothers uh, College. CBC. CBC. Wow, that's where Michael Princey went. Is that right? Yeah. He was, Is that right? He was the school captain in 2001. Geez, he did well for himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went there. I went to CBC in Wakefield Street. Great school, actually, and uh, it's changed a lot since I left. They um, added a lot to it. They've, 
and they've got tennis courts on the roof and plumbing. Plumbing, plumbing is a big plus. They've got a pool. It's fantastic. They had none of that stuff when I was there. When did you graduate? Uh, it would have been '94. Oh, okay. I think it was '94. Did you go to university as well? Yeah, I did. I went to um, uh, Uni of SA uh, McGill campus actually. All right. And I uh, I studied journalism actually at a uh, university. That's still the only uh, campus in South Australia that does journalism. I know, I know, and um, it's a it's a really um, it's a really highly regarded course actually that one. I didn't realise until I sort of moved into state that uh, you know a lot of people uh, move to South Australia to do that course, and it's a great one as well. We had really good lecturers, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of uh, just good good writing habits. So even though I didn't pursue a career in journalism, I uh, you know you learn good 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 writing skills that which I took with me, and there's a few good uh, presentation ideas there too as well with the um, you know the TV part and the Radio part had a few classmates as well who went on to success. It's interesting coming back to Adelaide and seeing, uh, I, in fact, Rosanna Mangiarelli, who's the host of Today Tonight on Channel Seven. Yeah. She was in my course, yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting to come back and see her doing that. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you? Um, because I think uh, the journalism students from Uni SA uh, read the news here on Radio Adelaide. Did you ever do that? Uh, yes. Well, uh, no, I didn't, but um, I, I had a few friends who did. Yeah, I didn't because I was doing all my um, community radio at PBAFM. So I'd done ah. quite a bit of news. I did everything at PBAFM. I uh, wrote news, read news, um, presented shifts, panelled, I um, production. I heard, and this is once again from Michael Prince, so it might not be accurate, but so far so good, I've yeah. noticed. Um, he said one time you fell asleep under the panel or something. Is yes, that... that's true. I uh, I did fall asleep underneath the panel. I... How did that happen? Well, it was one of those things where I was working a night shift um, before I had to do a breakfast show uh, at uh, PBA FM, and I did the night shift. And the shift wasn't the the breakfast shift that I was to present didn't start till seven, so I got there at six after work, and so I'll just have a little nap underneath the panel. It was the only place really in the station that you could. There was no couches or anything like that. I thought I'd set a wake-up call, uh, you know, for 10 to 7. Actually, perfect crime, that's okay, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I set up, but obviously the wake-up call went through to the answering machine of the station. I missed it, and then... Well, you'll get it later. Yes, wake up, uh, yes, uh, a good 45 minutes late for the breakfast show. But luckily, it wasn't a long drive-in because I was sleeping directly underneath the panel. <laughs> so I hit the snooze button, and luckily that was the news theme, and away we went. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's not a great story, like you know. That's uh, you know, you're working radio long enough, David. You love stories like these. Uh, well, I've, I've yet to sleep at the radio station. Ah, uh, don't worry. I'm sure it's coming. Uh, great. It'll happen. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> well, thanks very much for joining. Oh, c- can I end the interview like uh, Kerry O'Brien? Please do. Richard Marsden, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> Geez, some of that's dated. That uh, did end up originally airing on Radio Adelaide 101.5 FM on the 30th of January 2008 uh, on uh, the 9th episode of Pow Wow. You you can listen to that on my website as well if you want to. Um, See how it sort of originally went to air. There's other sketches and stuff in between. And um, interestingly, the the week before, we'd just done this thing. Well, actually, the whole summer, we'd um, we'd been recording these prank phone calls with a soundboard of um, <laughs> Dutch mixed martial arts sensation Bas Rutten. And they, and they were directly inspired by Richard's hilarious <laughs> soundboard prank calls using a Warwick Kappa soundboard, which is, I mean, even with this recent prank call sort of thing at Today, at Today FM with, um, you know, Kate Middleton, people have been linking to these prank calls. They, every time, you know, they, they always get wheeled out because you just, that's it. Like, they are the funniest prank calls ever made. Like, they'll never be surpassed. <laughs> he's, um, he's cracked it. And I remember in July 2008, I um, went to Melbourne with my girlfriend at the time. And we, I got to, I organized to have lunch with Richard. And we met on um, Burke Street Mall and just went to a cafe down an alleyway there and hung out for like two hours. We talked about all sorts of stuff. And I remember asking him about those Warwick Kappa soundboard prank calls. And he was saying he he made them in the SAFM studio in 2001 
and this is before I had the proper sort of computer playback stuff, so he was using cart racks with tape with the different phrases, a different cart rack for every phrase, and he was putting them into the machine and playing them down the phone. Now, now that that's an art form right there, because, I mean, now you want to make a soundboard, it's easy, it takes two sec. well, it takes a while to get all the clips and stuff, but, I mean, it's easy, and everyone does them, and actually, you know, they've kind of been done to death now, but... Back then, you know, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was something else. It's hard to sort of recreate hearing that for the first time, but I just remember the first time I heard it driving down Brighton Road in 2007, oh, just laughing so much. I, I had that all the time with Get This. One time, I, it was a sketch, one of Tony's sketches of, uh, he was doing these impressions of Peter Costello for a while, and I just remember one of them was so funny, I actually had to pull the car over to the side of the road because it was actually dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, but then, uh, unfortunately, uh, Richard had depression and not a lot of people knew and ended up um, killing himself on December 6th, 2008, which was a big shock to uh, to everyone, really. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know why. I think no one really knows why. Um, but, uh, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I've gone through some rough times, and even, you know, even then, when it seems like the world's falling apart and you've you've lost everything, you haven't lost everything. There's still something, you know, and even if you have lost everything, you still haven't lost everything. There's always something to live for. So, um, I mean, I I would say if if you're ever feeling down like that, talk to someone about it. Don't don't internalize it, and certainly you know, don't end it all. Because I mean, if you were alive to regret it, you'd probably regret it. But um, Richard's work lives on. Uh, the whole the whole Capril thing that's getting bigger and bigger every April. Wear a cape to show. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure what Capril is. Probably shouldn't say that. Every April, uh, wear a cape. To show that you... (laughs) Why are people wearing capes? I'm not really sure, but, I mean, just wear a cape. Just do it. Show your awareness of depression. There you go. If you see someone with a cape, they're all right. I mean, the good people at Farmers Union Iced Coffee must be loving it because, I mean, they get free publicity every um, every year. Everyone's taking pic, myself included, taking pictures of themselves with Farmers Union Iced Coffee. You know, having having a drink for Richard. It is really the panel operator's beverage of choice. I never used to like them until I moved from Adelaide, and uh, yeah, they're great. I'm not getting paid by them. But hey, if you if you've never heard of Richard Marsland before, just Go to YouTube, type his name in, click the first sketch you hear. It'll probably be something funny. I'm David M. Green. Join me next time for me and some other famous person.